just like to invite everybody to turn to the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. This morning we're going to try something a bit different um, that we haven't done before, I don't think. But we're going to have a, a, uh, an overview of this last book of the Bible. It's so timely to look at this book of the Revelation. I'm going to seek, with the help of the Lord, to give an overview, but uh, uh, maybe a broad view, if you will. But Brother Aaron, he's more detailed. See, he's going to, when we get to that point, he's going to give us a more detailed uh, look at one of the chapters. And then tonight, we'll continue with another chapter. He will do that, and we'll continue our overview. So, the book of the Revelation is so important, so I invite you to turn to that book. Chapter number one is what we'll read, and we've got three good volunteer readers here, so let's listen as they read the Word of God. Revelation chapter one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things, which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the word of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who, who has and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, the firstborn of the earth, uh, from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I think, yeah, that's it. And he and has made us kings and priests to his God to his. Yeah. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eyes every eye would will see him, even though even they who pierced him and in and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was, and who is to come, the mighty. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion, and the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in the in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Tyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed and with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. Continuing on in verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thank you, J.J., Julio, and Isaiah. Okay, what we'd like to do is just give a little bit of an introduction to this book, the last book of the Bible, the 66th book. I know sometimes introductions <clears throat> can be long and tedious, but I've got just one slide. So we trust to uh, look at it uh, in this way. What we're going to do before we get into the last book of the Bible is just take a panoramic view. You've, you've seen panoramic shots, right, of, of your family reunions and gatherings and whatnot. A camera will take a wide-angle lens. Well, we're going to look at the, a panoramic view of the Word of God. First of all, we want to note that the central theme of all the book of the Bible, all 66 books, is Christ. Remember when the, that very passage there mentioned? The Lord Jesus, it says, He opened in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. And then He could say later, Search the Scriptures, for they testify of Me. So, all of the Bible, the central theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, somebody years ago, I came across this, this poem that is so helpful when it comes to this very subject. Listen to what the, the words of this poem. I find my Lord in the Bible wherever I chance to look. He is the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily fair. Wherever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. He's at the book's beginning. He at the book's beginning gave to the earth its form. He is the ark of shelter bearing the brunt of the storm, the burning bush of the desert, the budding of Aaron's rod. Wherever I look in the Bible, I see the Son of God. The ram upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, the serpent lifted high, the smitten rock in the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook, the face of my Lord I discover wherever I look in the book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior virgin born. He is the son of David, of whom men rejected with scorn. His garments of grace and beauty, the stately Aaron deck. Yet he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Lord of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw. Light of the golden city, lamb without spot or flaw. Bridegroom coming at midnight, for whom the virgins look. Wherever I open my Bible, I find my Lord in the book. <laughs> Don't need to be a poet to catch that last one, right? I find my Lord in the book. And so when we look at the Scriptures, what we're going to do is, well, we're not advancing here. Get it to the next slide. Something happened to my pages there, but we'll... Here we go. Okay, let's, let's look and just briefly consider. In the Old Testament, we're going to divide the, five, the Bible up into one, two, three, four, five sections. All right, we can divide it up in other ways, but we're just going to do it in five sections. 
seeing that the central theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament. There you have preparation for the Messiah, right? From the very beginning book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, right? You have the seed of the woman. We read about it in that little poem, right? The seed of the woman. But just think, if you were here this morning to remember the Lord Jesus, just think about this. Now, we could go wherever we want in the Old Testament to see how the Messiah is prepared and looked forward to. But just think about this. If you're familiar with when God called Abraham, right? Get out of your country and go to the place where I'll show you. For in thee and in thy seed shall all uh, uh, people of the earth be blessed. Listen to what he said to Abraham. And your seed, all the kindreds of the earth shall be blessed. Now, he was referring to Christ. But listen... The book of Genesis could be like a miniature book of the Bible because he said to Abraham, in your seed all the earth shall be blessed. Who is his seed in Genesis, right? Joseph, right? Remember Joseph was raised up. Joseph was one of the sons of Abraham. Well, eventually, right? Grandsons. But in his seed all the kindreds of the earth will be blessed. Do you remember what happened in Joseph's day? There was a famine, no food, right? And all countries of the earth came where? To see the seed of Abraham, right? So all in, in, in Abraham's seed, all kindreds of the earth were blessed. What a wonderful picture of the Savior. We've already heard about Joseph and how, what a, a lovely picture he is of the, of the Lord Jesus. Rejected by his brethren, but then exalted to the throne, right? So what a wonderful picture. We can look anywhere in the Old Testament and we can see preparation for the coming Messiah. Exodus, you know, the Passover. We can go anywhere and see the uh, preparation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is Messiah. And so anywhere we can look, we find Him. And then the Gospels. That's when the fullness of time came, God. Manifestation. There we see manifestation. God gave His Son. And then we have in the Acts of the Apostles, we just finished a study of that, we have the propagation or the preaching of Christ, right? Remember what Paul went into the synagogues and he opened, he says, he opened the Scriptures showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ, right? So that's the propagation of the very central theme of the Word of God is the person of Christ. And then we have in the epistles, we have an explanation. Wait a minute. Christ died for our sins. How did Christ die for our sins? Well, we go back to the Old Testament Scriptures because the Bible says there it was according to the Scriptures. And so we say, let's look back according to the Scriptures and see how did Christ die for our sins. Well, in the Old Testament, right, they would bring an innocent animal. That animal didn't do anything. That animal was innocent. But the sinner that brought him, he would come and he would lay his hands on the head of that animal. And as it were, the sins would be transferred to that animal. And that innocent animal had to die. The innocent animal had to die. So now we understand. When Christ died for our sins, He died as my substitute. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. What a wonderful salvation to have the sinless Savior die as a substitute for me. And you, if you will, receive Him. So we have an explanation of the person of Christ. And then lastly, in the book of the Revelation, we have the consummation, the end. Right? Oh, there's a wonderful verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, but it says, In the dispensation of the fullness times, in the fullness of, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, God shall gather together in one all things in Christ. Another translation says, He will sum up all things in Christ. Listen to this. The Lord Jesus said, we read it, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He's the A to Z, everything there ever was, end to beginning. You know, we're made up of, right, uh, they tell me, DNA codes. 
Those of you that deal with computers, you know about that thing, coding uh, that deals up with the technology of computers and the like. Well, the Lord Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. You know, what is life all about? Right? He's the very center and the uh, reason for life. The Lord Jesus. So if He's not a part of your life, well, well, you're missing out. And you'll miss out for all eternity. So let's go on with the revelation of the book of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, in Genesis, the Savior is promised. In Revelation, the Savior is preeminent. So the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's, there's no S in it. Revelations. Oftentimes we hear that said. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very word... I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm going to make a stab at pronouncing that word, apocalypsis. Okay, that's how I would pronounce it in English. You've probably heard this referred to as the apocalypse or the unveiling. That's exactly what the Greek word means. An unveiling, a disclosing, a revealing of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our society, we have this going on all the time, right? The unveiling of that which was hidden. You know, you have some famous artist or not so famous artist, right? He's worked on some masterpiece and the time comes when he can unveil it to all the adoring public, you know. Oh, right? they, they, they love to see what's behind that blanket, you know. And so we have it in our society all over, don't we? Well, uh, we, hardly a day goes by, right? That there's something uh, new unveiled in the world of technology. I was thinking this silly thought when I was a kid. You remember, anybody ever heard of Rip Van Winkle? Or is that just me? Well, anyway, Rip Van Winkle, this poor character, you know, he goes to sleep. And he wakes up 20 years later and he comes back to his town. And everything's different, you know. His people are gone. Uh, their things have changed. And I think, in our society, you don't have to go to sleep for 20 years. You can go to sleep for 20 minutes and something new comes out, right? Always Apple or IBM or somebody's unveiling something new, right? Always in our society. So we understand when there's unveilings of something. So we have the person of Jesus Christ unveiled to us in the book of the Revelation. Unveiling of that which was hidden. Now we just finished a study of the Acts of the Apostles. In Acts, the Lord Jesus ascended out of view. You remember? The very ones that walked with Him on earth, He had told them that He was going to His Father, but here He was actually going to fulfill it. While they were talking to Him, can you imagine? Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He ascended up out of their sight. A cloud received Him out of their sight. And He ascended up out of view into glory, into heaven. But in Hebrews, we, forget, we realize where He went. The Lord Jesus entered inside the veil. What does that mean, inside the veil? I don't understand that. Well, if you read the Old Testament, you know that there was a dwelling place of God called the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, there was this central, this center location where the Lord was pleased to put His name there, where He was pleased to dwell in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's behind this veil that would hide the presence of God from the priest and the priests. And, and He would, they would just be able to serve while they were in there, but once a year, the high priest went in beyond the veil. Well, now the Lord Jesus has gone into heaven. By the way, if you're familiar with the tabernacle, there's a copy here on earth. He's given Moses a pattern. But there in the glory is the true tabernacle. It's a wonderful thing to be able to read the Word of God and see how the Lord Jesus fits in. So in Acts, the Lord Jesus ascended out of view. In Hebrews, the Lord Jesus entered inside the veil. And in Revelation, the Lord Jesus is revealed. So we want to get, that's just an overview, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. This very book is given to us to reveal the purposes, the person, and the plans of the Lord <coughs> Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah read for us in verse number 19 what we're going to use. We're going to hang with this slide for a while. 
We're going to hang with this slide because it gives to us in your in your Bibles there, Acts chapter one verse nine, uh, Revelation chapter one verse nineteen, a threefold key to unlocking this book of twenty-two chapters. Right, the book of the Revelation can be divided a number of ways, but this seems to be a very key way because it's uh, key way. It seems to be a very key way to uh, organizing it because it is uh, given to us so nicely in one verse. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So you have the past, and you have the present, and you have the future. So just for a few minutes, we're going to consider this, the past. In the past, we have the glory of Christ. just want you to consider this wonderful revelation or unveiling of the person of Christ. Now... It's remarkable that the man that wrote this, John, because he even gives his name, John, verse 4, to the seven churches, he was one that walked with the Lord Jesus while he was here on earth. But, you know, he knew the Lord Jesus intimately. You remember, he's the one that says he leaned on the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ in his prepared body. But after the Lord Jesus died and rose again, We see the Lord now ascended by faith. We do. But John saw him here, uh, uh, and he seeks to uh, describe him. He saw him in his resurrected, in his glorified body. He saw him in his prepared body while he was here on earth. But he saw him now in his glorified body. And there was a great voice we read already. uh, And I turned to see the voice, verse 12, which spoke with me. And then when he turned, he saw this majestic figure. Now, you talk about the glory of Christ, right? This is no longer the lowly man, Jesus of Nazareth. This is the exalted Lord that John seeks to describe, and the terms are just beyond our understanding, to describe the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He appeared before Him. All right, what a wonderful revelation. And we don't have time, of course, to go into it, but I just want to highlight one verse which we read in verse number 18. I, this is, what the, this is what the glorified Lord said to John. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of Hades and of death. You know, it's a remarkable thing to know the one that's in control. This world, it seems, and I, I know Aaron will bring this to us in a minute. This world, it seems, is out of control. But thank the Lord there is one that has things under control. He holds, it says, he holds the seven stars in his right hand, you know? He has, <laughs> talk about what we were just thinking, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, I'll, tell, I'll say he does, because we're going to see how he's got the whole world in his hands in this very book. But listen to what he says here. I, now John falls at his feet as dead. He's the one that was so intimate with him. Now he falls at his feet as dead. But this is what he said. I am he that liveth and was dead. So he's looking back to Calvary when the Lord of glory bare our sins in his own body on the tree and he was put into a tomb. He was buried. He was dead. I was dead. But behold, I am alive forevermore. What a wonderful message to know the one that has control over hell and death. You know, that that no matter what comes in life, we can know the one who has control. God is still on the throne. He will remember His own. Though trials come upon us, He will never forsake us. God is still on the throne. We We marvel at that wonderful thing. So there's the glory, the things which you have seen. He's seen the person of the Lord Jesus. And we don't have time to go more into that, but that's the glory of Christ. And then we have the things which are. 
the things which are could be considered in chapter number 2. He's writing to churches that are then present. The churches that are in Asia. That is Asia Minor. Uh, the area of Turkey nowadays. Uh, Brother John's, right? What soon, I hope he's going to show us. He went to a, uh, Asia Minor, right? And he can show us some pictures of some of these very areas where the Apostle speaks of here. But the wonderful thing about the things which are, there were present things to note. Now, one of the most important things I think we can see in this, in this is the grace of Christ. Where is the Lord Jesus now? Well, yes, He's exalted in glory. And we, we were reminded this morning how He's in the midst of His church, of His assembly, leading the praise of the brethren. But also... He's walking amid the lampstands. He's seen walking amid the churches. The lampstands are the churches, right? And so the Lord of glory is walking amid the lampstands. And He says, I have this against you. And, 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 and I don't like what's going on here. And I commend this. He's walking amid the churches. And you know why this particular assembly is seeking to answer to our risen Lord? Because we want to make sure we act according to this book. You know, sometimes people will come into this little uh, assembly building and say, well, why do you do things so different here than they do down the street? Well, because we want to labor to answer to the risen Lord who gave a design for His church. Right? And he says in these different churches, he says, I have this against you, this is, is wrong, this is right, and so forth. It, a lovely study to look at the things which are. And, and we can gather things for our own selves right now, the things which are. But then, in chapter number 4, he switches. So not only do we have the glory of Christ and the grace of Christ, but we have the government of Christ. After this, after the things which are because that's the, the churches. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. So here you see the John, John the Apostle. He's giving us this, this, present, this, this view that he had of things which shall be hereafter. And, I will, and it says it right there, doesn't it? In English, doesn't it? I will show you the things which must be hereafter. Right? From this point on, you know. It's a wonderful thing. You know, you don't have to go. In fact, you shouldn't go. To the fortune teller. It's condemned in the Bible. It reminds me, <clears throat> they had a convention once of fortune tellers. Grand convention. They were all coming from all parts of the world. But at the last minute, it was canceled because of unforeseen circumstances. You know, you know, the, the God, you know, is not mocked. There are people out there that, let me see, I can tell what's going to happen by looking at your hand. <laughs> It's not true. There, but I'll tell you what is true. We live in a spiritual world. There are rulers of darkness. That, that, now, this is not a joke. Oh, let me tell you what I just learned. <laughs> this was amazing. Did you know last, um, what was it, last Monday, the world celebrates Halloween. Do you know what else goes on on Halloween? Have anybody ever heard of Harry Houdini? Oh, probably none of us here, right? Harry Houdini. <laughs> Great escape artist. Well, there's one thing he couldn't escape, and that was his own death. But what he did do, Mr. Houdini and his wife, he says to his wife, listen, after I die and my spirit comes back, you're going to have a seance. And when my spirit comes back, I'm going to tell you this identifying phrase, and I don't know what it was. So for ten years, Mrs. Houdini had a seance to try to 
contact her deceased husband, you know. Harry, 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 come, Harry. Harry never came. Do you know what? It's still carried on to this day. So says Wikipedia. And the internet, you know, you've got to believe the internet, right? But can you imagine that there are, that, that there, there are you know, if you want to know what's hereafter, you look in the Word of God. Aaron's going to tell us something about that's going to happen hereafter that's whew, too exciting. What I've been asked to do is, is just deal with a parenthetical pause. And there is a parenthetical pause. After chapter 9, there is the last of the, 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 the Trump, or the sixth of the Trump judgments. And then in chapter 14, you have uh, the, the, the parenthetical pause. Chapter 15, you have the vials. So you have all this information within this parenthetical pause. And it's just before the storm, because I think these chapters would denote that which is the very last of the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The last of the three and a half years tribulation period. And you have in chapter number 10, you have John who is asked to eat the book. What, what was in the book, what the book was, to go into such detail would be only speculation. But the book was very, very important. And it did have the will of God in it. And, and it isn't the first time that God ever asked anyone to eat a book. He asked Jeremiah to eat a book. And he asked Ezekiel to eat a book. And then he gave Ezekiel the stomach to do it. And so Ezekiel ate the book. And then he was commanded, Now you prophesy to the nation of Israel. In other words, you're going to be so filled with my will, my word, that's what they're going to hear. I seek to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, chapter number 10 is where John is asked to eat the book. The same as Jeremiah and the same as Ezekiel. Chapter 11, we're going to go into the two witnesses that God left on this earth. Chapter 12, we're going to go into this evening just a little bit. And that is denoting uh, the battle of the ages. In other words, unveiling what has transpired in past days. The unseen world, that which we weren't able to see. Well, he unveils it for us. And that's the revelation, the unveiling, right? He's showing us what has happened, what is happening, and what shall happen. Chapter number 13 is keystone because that deals with the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Antichrist, which will stand against Christ, Antichrist, he's going to stand against... He knows he's doomed. But that's what he'll do. Chapter number 13. Then you have the false prophet, that one which exalts the Antichrist. He speaks only of the Antichrist. This is what it says about the Antichrist. Who is like the beast? You know, it's interesting. It was brought out this morning. That's what the world is going to cry. He's going to set himself up right there in Palestine, right there. He knows where the important spots of the earth are. 
He knows where the whole act is going to come down. That's where He is. And the men of this world are going to cry, Who is like the beast? Those are the exact words back in Genesis chapter 15. That is the exact words which are denoted of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who is like the Lord? That's what we reviewed this morning. And then chapter number 14, we have the, the, the uh, 144,000 witness once again. And some would say, why are those, those, those people that just somehow got to get the church into this matter, somehow the church is going to show up in this, the revealing. Listen, I believe that by this time, by the three and a half years of that tribulation period, by that time, all the matters that we have in correlation with the earth are settled already. We are done. We are in heaven's glories. We are waiting for that great wedding day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take His bride, the church, and make her His very own. I believe this 144,000 reverts right back to chapter 7. That's the same 144,000. They are now glorified and placed into the heavens. And then chapter Number 15, we have the, the plagues and the beginnings of the vile judgments. Chapter number uh, 11, real quickly. It talks about two witnesses. Not, if you've studied out this, it's amazing to note that, that God never leaves Himself without a witness. In the beginning of that seven-year period, you have a seven-year period, the last week, Daniel Cox, in Daniel chapter 9. That last week, seven-year period is very, very scripted. It's laid out. I don't think there's going to be any surprises for those. And in the beginning of that uh, uh, seven-year period, uh, we have the, the coming of the Antichrist who comes onto the scene and takes control and signs a covenant with Israel. The wicked, diabolical Antichrist. And then we have towards the end of that period, after the 144,000 have been a a very faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are those 144,000? Are they the church? The church is gone. They're not the church. That 144,000 are the very ones for which God had designed to be the witness on this earth. That is Israel. It talks about that very specifically in the Revelation chapter number 7. And now we have these two. And it says, and there was, verse number one, and there was uh, given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. The whole thrust of this portion dealing with the temple is to say this. God always has His witness. God always has His remnant on this earth. You measure it, not the outer court, because the outer court is going to be taken over by the Gentiles. And we have that all the way back in the book of Daniel, all the way through. We know that one day there's going to be someone who's going to desecrate that temple, and that'll be the Antichrist. 
You have a picture of it with Antiochus Epiphanes in chapter 11 of the book of Daniel. But then you're going to have the Antichrist who is going to be the real fulfillment of that as he desecrates the temple. He said, don't measure the outer court. That's for the Gentiles. Now, now watch this scene. Verse number 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. A very specific Number Now, to go into exactly who they are, I, I, I would only surmise from my mind one is Elijah. Because uh, uh, the portions in the Old Testament uh, would, would seem to indicate that. Malachi chapter 4 would seem to indicate that. Uh, let, let's go there real quickly, because I think it might be well just to read this. But who it is really doesn't matter that much. Uh, Malachi chapter 4. And, and this, is, this is talking about the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord when He's going to be judging this earth. And it says this in verse number 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servants, which commanded unto him Horeb, all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Jeremiah says that that last three and a half year period of the tribulation is called the great tribulation. It's a powerful judgment of God when He unveils His justice and righteousness on this earth. Elijah's going to be there. I believe he's one. I think the other possibly could be Moses. Because of some of the miracles that are wrought there, they seem to be in correlation with some of the very things that Moses did while he was on this earth when releasing the people of Israel from Egypt. And they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. The olive tree has within it olive oil, which, which deals with the Spirit of God. These men are going to be absolutely, unquestionably filled with the Spirit of God. They're going to voice out the commands and will of God. It's going to be God speaking through these two men. The candlestick... That is the testimony. We just dealt with that, uh, with those things which were passed. That's what each church is. It's a testimony. Well, they're going to be a testimony. They're going to be a light in a very dark world. They're going to stand right before the very temple of God. And, and, and you say, well, there's where the Antichrist... You're not a kidding. Antichrist has already set up shop there. But listen to what happens. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, this is what happens now. You, you, you have the naysayers who, who come back and, 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 and they say, well, I reject the, the, the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there seems to be no repercussion from that. 
There seems to be no consequences to that. Well, there will be consequences now. God will have changed plans. God will have changed course according to His divine will that He foreordained before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Things were going to change. When you decided to stand as a rebel, a rebel against God, you will pay the price instantly. Did not they make attempts on these two witnesses' life? Let me tell you, don't spiritualize this. Please don't do that. These are two people standing right there in Jerusalem. And they're defying the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is striking out and trying to kill them. Through individuals, they strike out and they end up getting struck. It's a clear picture. They have a job to do and until they're finished, they will continue. Now watch what it says. Verse number 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony. Now, you've you, you got to see this. You've you got to see it. Because this tells me that someone other than the Antichrist is in control here. When they finish their testimony, when they are completely done, when they are completely done with what I give them to do, then I'll allow the next activity to take place. And it says, The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now you can imagine the world as they see the beast. You know, he takes up uh, after the, uh, these two testimonies and he's able to overcome them. All the people of the world that, that through their lotting with the beast, they already got the mark on the forehead. They've got the mark. They've got the marks all, all there and everything. They say, yes, I knew it. He's bigger and more powerful than God. You say, oh, they, they couldn't be defying the very God of heaven. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, you keep reading on. You get into the 16th chapter, you'll find out that they do defy the God of heaven. They are so brazen, they are so bold, that they'll actually swing their nasty fingers at the God of heaven in defiance. That's how bad this world is going to be. It's turning that way now. It's turning that way now. Bible prophets of old, even before the turn of the century, said these words always. Oh, it seems that the world must unite in order that the Antichrist would have absolute unquestioned power. Then came World War I. Did the world unite? Just the opposite happened. Europe was fragmented and torn apart. World War II, Europe was fragmented and torn apart. Now what unites us? Economic hardship. This nasty Antichrist will have a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. He comes in peace. Daniel chapter nine. Cha Daniel chapter eight tells us at the very last verse. He he's going to come in peace, and that's exactly what's going on right now. They're looking for a man that would unify and bring back economic stability to this world. Have they solved the Greek crisis? No. They have not solved the Greek crisis. They'll put a band-aid on the Greek crisis, but the very basis of what's going on in Europe right now is what's going to unify the world and ultimately bring the Antichrist as the ruler of the world. 
no time in history parallels what we're seeing now. No, you say, what about World War II? My goodness, there was a terrible calamity in the world. Was it united? Was France united with Germany? No. They were opposed to each other as much as ever could be. But are they united now? Oh, now we have China. China, the one who could, who could mask a, a 200 million man army. This great nation is now going to step in and possibly is going to be the savior, supposedly, the savior of the European economy and the euro. China? What relation ever in the history of humanity has the Orient had with Europe? Distant to say the least. Completely isolated themselves one with the other. Oh, but that has changed. China knows that their economic stability depends on Europe. All of them must gather together to defeat this great enemy called economic disaster. And that's exactly what they're doing. Look out, for our Lord is coming soon. I, I'm, I'm telling you, the more I study this, the more I look into this, the, I, I just, it just blows my mind. It's lining up just exactly the way the Scriptures had anticipated. Verse number 18, chapter 11. I want to end, end with this, and I've got to end with this. It says, And the nations were angry, their wrath is come. Oh, you see these two witnesses. Uh, the Antichrist stepped in and, and, and he chopped them down. He put them under. He killed them. <laughs> For how long? Oh, three and a half days. And the Bible says that, that, that the whole world, all the nations of the earth, were able to see their dead bodies as they lay in the streets of Jerusalem. The whole world. And, and all the scoffers of, of bygone days would say, well, that's impossible. How can the whole world see Him at one time? Need I say more? Have we now got the ability, by satellite, to deal with one specific part of the earth and the whole world can look at Let me tell you, there's going to be great interest in that particular area at that particular time. And those particular dead bodies that are laying in the streets. There'll be more, even more interest after three and a half days because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to raise them back up again. And He's going to show Himself powerful right in the faces of the rebels. We have a God that is absolutely unquestionably in control. And these nations, you'd think they'd, they'd turn, they'd repent. Well, some did. We find out that some did. But by and large, they, they, they become wrath for what God has done. They know exactly who did it. And then those two are taken out. And the nations were angry, it says. And then verse number 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in this temple the ark of His testimony. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. That picture that the nation of Israel developed in the tabernacle and the temple here on this earth is in perfect form in heaven's glories. And it's going to be opened up. 
And when it's opened up, it's going to reveal, oh, it's not going to reveal all this pretty furniture and all this glitter and glamour and gold and all that. It, 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 no. The Lord Jesus Christ. He rules and reigns and He is in absolute control now, I guarantee you. I'll be honest. I sit and I read this stuff at home and sometimes tears come to my eyes because we're standing right on top of it. And we have a God that says these words, I am not willing that any should perish. I will send my witness to the church. And when I take them home, I will send my witness to the nation of Israel, the 144,000. And when I ultimately they pass off the scene, I will send my witness to the two. I will continue to witness because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. So I'll tell you what, if you stand this morning and you're still rebelling and you're saying, you know what, not, not for me. I can run my own show. I'm a big guy. I, I can run my own life. I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. I don't need someone else's will. I've got my own will. You're a rebel! That's all that it comes down to. You can't say it any other way. You can say, well, I just haven't decided yet. You did decide. You've decided to rebel against the Almighty God. Just like they rebelled in the tribulation time. Oh, don't, don't find yourself in those shoes. Oh, friends, that's a fretful place to be. As a rebel against God, that's a fretful place to, keep, to be because ultimately they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. This book makes it very, very clear. Exalting the Lord, giving Him His rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords. Do I close in prayer? You'll close in prayer. Go ahead. Before I go close in prayer, I just want to. Aaron's already made it. I don't know where the thing went. Anyway, click to the last slide. In, in Revelation chapter one, verse three, there's a promise. <clears throat> Not that one. The, the, the what are you doing there? You, you, you're, you're giving us a preview of tonight. Go back. There you go. Right there. In Revelation one three, blessed is he, the individual who reads. And keeps the word and hear the words of this prophet and keeps those things which are written therein, for the time is near. The time has not been any nearer than now, right? The individual it reads, the end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful in prayer. Now the the the, the, the individual challenge that we'd like to make is you know, this is something that's happening in the world. But what about you as an individual? What is your relation and what is my relation to the Lord Jesus, right? Has the Lord Jesus been revealed to me? Is he my savior? Is he my king? Is he my Almighty, or is he just that's that's for the Bible, that's for the Christians, that's for the church, that's for the you people, you religious people? Well, blessed be God, He wants to be your Savior, the very Savior that we exalt here in the Book of the Revelation that is revealed wants to be yours. We've already heard the challenge, and we would just leave that to you, with you. The time is near. Our Father, we're thankful this morning for this wonderful. Uh, Apocalypse, this wonderful unveiling of the marvel and wonder of thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he is, what, what he has done at Calvary, what he is doing now, and what he will yet do when he is revealed. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall, 
shall see Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. And they also which pierced Him. Oh God, we thank You for what is coming. But our, our God, we're concerned this morning for those here that may not know the Lord Jesus personally. And that, that, that He is involved in their daily personal lives. Oh God, we pray that Your Spirit would do that which we cannot do and cause them to be born again by Your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.